Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 35 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. The demise of Interplay saw to it that Black Isle Studios would not get to complete the Fallout saga to their own specification. Instead, their intellectual property found its way to Bethesda, who felt the post-Armageddon RPG would be a perfect fit for their Gamebryo engine. With astronomical review scores and around 6 million sales worldwide, it appears that the press and the public agreed. Joining me, Leon Cox, on this issue we have James Carter. Hello. Carl Moon. Hey guys. And Sean O'Brien. Hello. covering any other Fallout games. This is all about Fallout 3. Uh, I don't believe any of us collectively have any experience of Fallout 1 or 2. Is that right? Yeah, no, not at all. N- no. Okay. okay, and uh, there were there were many spin-offs. There was Fallout Tactics uh, with the subtitle Brotherhood of Steel that was a, a sort of a slightly different uh, squad turn-based affair, I think. There's been a board game called, uh, or a desktop game, desktop game uh, with miniatures called Fallout Warfare. I have no experience of that. There was a PlayStation 2 and Xbox uh, dungeon looting game uh, using the same engine as, as the excellent uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, um, but apparently not as good, reviewed moderately, um, but none of us have played that either. Um, and there was a point where this particular podcast was we were considering also covering New Vegas um, we're probably well we're not going to do that but we may well at least uh, have a little discourse about it later I haven't played it myself but uh, it would have meant an epic show and um, having to have played through that as well would have ruled out a lot of the the, the Kane and Rince crew from being on the show um, might be worth actually talking about why uh, a lot of people didn't go on to play that one, although it did it did do well. I mean, it did sell millions of copies, but I don't think it did critically or commercially quite as well as as Fallout Three did. But I felt we did have to acknowledge that this game already had a large and passionate cult following on the PC. Uh, first game came out in '97, um, and that was already a, a spiritual successor to another game by Interplay, which was released by EA called Wasteland. Um, that was uh, that was set in 2161, so uh, a similar sort of time frame. Um, so Fallout One was set in 2161. Uh, the each of the sequels has followed on from that, 
Um, so, uh, yeah, EA owned the IP of Wasteland, which is how Fallout came to be uh, made by Interplay. They followed it up in 99 with Fallout 2 on a PC. That was set in 2241. And then this happened, uh, as we say. So it was Interplay basically went bust, as as companies do, um, and sold off. I, I, think, I think this was pretty much a deal where they sold off the IP to the highest bidder. And I think um, Bethesda paid like a million something dollars for it or something like that they sold everything off but they kept hold of the ip for an mmo right okay that's oh, of course because that's that's yeah that came into that came about in in the news a while back didn't it because there was still yeah they ended up having to release it about two months ago i think right right okay um now, obviously, some fans of this series in the '90s, uh, this uh, so it was sort of isometric, force perspective, three-quarter view, wasn't it? And uh, using a, a style of graphics that was quite sort of de rigueur at the time, which was a very sort of high detail, high resolution for the period, uh, 2D, the same as sort of Commandos, maybe that kind of style. Um, but actually. And obviously, those fans were sort of concerned about it going to Bethesda, who uh, at this point had made Oblivion, but um, hadn't really. They'd pretty much been making Elder Scrolls games for what? Well, ten plus years at this point. So, I guess it was they hadn't tackled sci-fi, and I guess fans of the Fallout series didn't know just how much of the the sort of elements of the Fallout games they were going to use. Yeah, I think the the concern was that um, in in everything but name, there was no reason for Bethesda to stick to what had uh, sort of been laid out in in the Fallout history amongst all the games you've just mentioned. Um, and so, I think I remember there being an awful lot of concern amongst fans, an awful lot of um, vocal outrage almost amongst fans as to the changes that Bethesda were proposing to make um, because of. Obviously, they didn't realise how much Bethesda may or may not uh, sort of pay homage to those original games. Obviously, the the biggest thing is the perspective change from ang- angled two D, which is you know looks very much of its time, to uh, highly immersive first person, or you can play it in third person, but uh, wouldn't advise it. Yeah, not really. <laughs> Some people do, but uh, yeah. Um, but from what I know about Fallout One and Two, and having looked back and read up, uh, it does seem that Bethesda brought virtually everything from that world in. Now, this could be completely wrong. There may be fans of the original games saying, "No, that's not true." But you look at the 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 special uh, attributes, the Pip Boy, uh, the Vault Dweller, uh, all the uh, a lot of the monsters are the same. I think. Um, Obviously, it's hard for me to say, or any of us here to say, um, but I think, by and large, the impression I get is that probably more Fallout fans were happy with what they did than weren't. But I guess we can only say anecdotally. Uh, Certainly, it should be said that there was, as well as consternation from existing Fallout fans, there there was also a lot of excitement from people who probably, like ourselves, who'd never played a Fallout game before. After all, this was the first... A significant Bethesda release for two and a half years and, and it used the much loved Gamebryo engine but it was going to bring some kind of shooting in. Does anyone remember seeing that uh, that demo I think it was the, the first time they showed it at E3, I don't know what year it was I guess 2007 maybe um, 
they sort of showed off the VAT system, um, showing that this wouldn't be a straight first-person shooter with RPG elements. This was very much the the shooting in this game was dictated by stats and dice rolls and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember seeing that, and um, it it seemed quite odd to go from what looked like because I think part of the concern that a lot of people had was it looked very much like a certainly not a generic but a, a fairly straightforward first-person shooter and then obviously they took you into vats and showed you exactly what that was going to be doing and that very much gave it a different feel to the way it perhaps looked initially so uh, in this game obviously we won't be doing a moment by moment Uh, this game is vast you can play it for pretty much i don't know what a speed run would be Um, if you just went through the main quest line and did nothing else you'd be missing virtually everything that's good about the game but you could probably do it in I don't know, how long do you reckon? Well, less than 20 hours easily, I would think. Yeah. I would have said half that, maybe 10 hours. Because you can actually skip out a, a few of the main quests as well, if you right. know where you're going. Yeah, I played it through, um, I actually played it through after the uh, the Game of the Year edition came out. I did buy it on release day in, at, at the time, in two, October 2008, uh, when it came out on all three systems, I think PC, Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't get around to playing it all the way through until after I owned the, the Game of the Year edition. And uh, my my time with it was about 80 to 90 hours. And I did what I felt like was most things. But I know a lot of people actually managed to squeeze 180 to 200 hours out of it. And I can certainly understand how you could do that if your play style was such, particularly if you were anti-fast travel. Uh, what are other people's uh, did, did you all play it in 2008 and get straight on it I started playing it and I thought wow this is awesome I must play this soon and then it was two years later before I played it you know how it is I started playing it and I I actually didn't like it at first Okay. I, um, I hadn't really heard much about it at that point until it came out and I saw the reviews and I think this came out in 2008 yeah that right? that's right Okay, mm-hmm. and the year before that, uh, Modern Warfare had come out, and that was yeah. all I was about for at least two years. Oh, we got and a cod boy here. Yeah, sorry, because <laughs> I get kicked off Keenan Rance. Not uh, at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, no, but I so that was my expectation for when I saw first-person shooter. So then, when I tried it out, I went walking through the vault, and I was I was into it. And then once you get out of the vault. And then you just start walking, and then you keep walking, and then you keep walking, yep. and then the raider shows up, and then they shoot you in the face, and you're dead. Yeah. 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 And I, I just I didn't get it. I didn't understand the little mini map at the bottom, so I didn't know where to go. I didn't know I was supposed to go to Megaton, <laughs> so I just went left. I don't know where to go. <laughs> and uh, so I just really didn't get on with it at all at first, but I, I knew I should give it a second chance. And when I did months later, about when Point Lookout came out, actually. Right. Uh, I I I'd, I'd fa- figured it out and fell in love with it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So you might have had that thing. I know a lot of people did. Where initially, at least, and if not for some people, for the duration of their time with it, VATS kind of rubbed them up the wrong way. So for you, uh, VATS being the combat system, um, this being Kane and Rince, we're we're sort of in that weird situation between assuming everyone's played it and assuming no one's played it, <laughs> but. Uh, it's uh, it's a system where you you bring up uh, uh, a HUD to uh, and and the the actual 
game stops in real time and you actually aim and then the you're shown your percentage chances of hitting certain areas and how much uh, and and how much damage they're likely to do um and at first this can be pretty distressing to somebody who can shoot a bit in a game at all really because when your character's very low level at the start in the vault um you start as a newborn baby by the way but you don't get a gun until you're a little older uh you um you can like miss these giant cockroaches from two yards away because your stats are too low and the gun you've got is too shitty and I, I think that's I think to some people that's like well fuck this then yeah I hated it I hated it and you couldn't aim down the iron sights it drove me nuts right <laughs> at first yeah uh, any other early memories uh, yeah, yeah absolutely I um, I played it when it came out I got it and I played it over the course of about a year, I seem to remember it was. Mm. Um, so by the time I was finishing it, all the the DLC was out, I think. Um, and just for no other reason than there was so much to do that I played it in just little chunks. You know, I'd spend a couple of hours one weekend and then not play it again because you know I just didn't feel the need to rush through it. It didn't feel yeah. like it needed to be a game that had to be sort of rushed through in the sort of six to twelve hours. You know, um, <laughs> it wasn't no. sort of. A fast-paced action game or anything like that. Really, it really. I think it did reward exploration, and so I just took my time with it, um, and not not because I wasn't in, engrossed in it or I wasn't enjoying it, uh, just because I felt like. I mean, the moment when you walk out of the the vault at the beginning, Vault One Hundred One, uh, and as Sean said, just so many options of where you go, and just you can literally wander in any direction uh, with almost no guidance whatsoever, aside from yeah. That you 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 know that it's your you've left the vault to find your your father, Liam Neeson. Yes, uh, yeah. plays your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we will try and keep at least some hold on what the actual <laughs> sort of story of the game was, although it really does go all over the place. And uh, and uh, yeah, once once Carl shares shared his uh, initial experiences, we'll talk about. Uh, the whether any of us um, saw the original ending because one of the great controversies about Fallout Three is that of course they 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 changed the ending um, with DLC. Carl, did you buy this in day one? Did you play it day one? Uh, yes, and yes, uh, I was originally not that interested in the game. Um, really, I was. I anticipated the launch of Oblivion and I played it, but I fell out of love with that game quite quickly. Mm. And it, it, you know, I, I ended up being a bit cautious of whether I would enjoy the game and I remember I had gone to a LAN that weekend, uh, the weekend before its release, or a couple of weeks before its release, and it was the day that uh, the the trilogy of games had been released in Dead Space uh, Far Cry 2 and Fable 2 and I'd, mm. picked, I'd picked up Fable 2 and Far Cry 2 as I'd mentioned on the podcast before, and I had friends saying, oh you, you know, it was full of PC gamers and everyone's talking about Fallout 3's coming out and are you picking it up and I I was very into buying magazines at the time and the front cover of every magazine for months on end was Fallout 3 and mm. all that was in my head is there's a reason people are talking about this game games get hyped up but games don't usually get constant coverage for three months mm. so me being me I ended up ordering the collector's edition Okay, is this the, the Pit boy one with the bobblehead? Mm. It comes with the bobblehead in the lunchbox and yeah. I, I own a lot of special editions, and I'm as to say I'm a collector, but really they've got no resale value. But I enjoy what they're worth to me, and 
I would still say that the Fallout 3 one is my favourite. There's many things that lend me back to this that I just loved the whole launch around this game. I remember my, one of my best friends came around and he had no interest in the game. He was very much a shooter. He was back in the day playing Counter-Strike with me and very aggressive Call of Duty, sort of Battlefield, thorough shooting games. And we watched the start of the game, you know, where you choose your specials as the baby... And we must have played 40 minutes and he turned to me and he said, I've seen enough, that's all I need to see, I'm going to go and buy this game now. And he left the house and it was from that moment that we would always converse to each other every single night. What did you find? What did mm. you do? What was this decision? You know, find any good items. And th- this is what I most remember about the launch is the pure back and forth between one friend on every intricate detail of that game. Mm. Now, obviously, I've said that I didn't because I didn't play it until after I had... In the end, I didn't play it properly until after I had all the DLC uh, installed. And for me, that made it... Uh, I'm quite glad that I played it that way because it made it this very full, rich, varied experience. And I think the DLC added a lot of much-needed variety because I would imagine the original game probably is probably does get a little bit more samey in terms of environs and stuff whereas the dlc added a whole new area in point lookout and mothership zeta and um things like this but did anyone get to the end before the the end was changed yes i did okay so uh obviously this is kind of rinse we will be doing spoilers we're talking about a game that's four years old uh can you explain to our listeners, uh, or just remind us, or what the what the controversy was, what the difference between the two endings were, pre and post uh, Broken Steel, was it the DLC which? Yeah, the third DLC released third extended DLC. the ending. Okay. The ending was completely forgettable. As in, I can't remember it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because all I ended up doing was loading it up and continuing searching the wasteland. The ending, like much of that game, held nothing for me as it was the act of doing, much like some people will say with games like World of Warcraft. It's the questing and playing with your friends, and which in my case, I continued to play through with the same friend. So the ending itself actually held nothing for me. Yeah. But doesn't the your character dies in the original ending? Yeah. You yeah. Have to, you have to uh, sacrifice yourself in a... Uh, fully a room that's filled with radiation. That's right, and that's the yes. only option. Whereas, yeah. uh, well, technically, you don't have to. I think you do have one of the, um, oh, it's not the rangers. The the yeah, well, then the Brotherhood of Steel is with you, and you can ask her to go in and do that. Um, so I think there are three choices. You can either ask her to go in and sacrifice herself, which is a rather sort of ignominious thing to do, um, or, or you can sacrifice yourself, or you can actually either send her in and not give her the code that you have to punch in or yes. go in yourself and not enter the code and that's just a damp squib of an ending because time runs out and you haven't activated the GEC so that's right and so those are, those are the options you had I think the main problem with the ending was that there was an obvious other ending that could have been written in because <laughs> almost everyone arrived in that room with a, um, a companion character called Fox who you more or less kind of had to run into um, a couple of main missions earlier uh, when you were going around one of the vaults, mm. who is, I, I think I'm right in saying, the only friendly super mutant in the in this game. Um, 
and and, and he is your companion, and is obviously as super mutants are a giant, uh, well, Hulk-looking uh, guy who is yeah. incredibly tough. Um, rarely loses any health, immune and is to radiation. immune to radiation. Radi- so. I think a lot of people spotted that. Well, they had Fox with them. Why couldn't he go in, punch in the code, and he would be okay? But that ending wasn't an option, even if he was stood right next to you. So you were forced to do what Carl did, and once you'd finished the game, reload your last save. Uh, I mean, in 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 every Gamebryo engine game, uh, you should be keeping rolling saves. So generally, you're going to have... Uh, if nothing else, an auto save before you've triggered the end sequence. And of course, my issue with this ending was that they were very transparent in releasing that they were going to continue the ending anyway, which is why it held right. absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, because we knew it was going to extend. So whatever happened, it was just purely a case of going back and doing it again when the DLC came out anyway. And as with every uh, Bethesda game, the main quest line is perhaps one of the least interesting things about the whole experience. Is that fair in this case? I mean, obviously they tried for something a bit more, with a bit more emotional resonance than they they tried in Oblivion, um, whereas that was a simple case of uh, shutting the doors to hell and saving the world. This was a more personal quest involving... Uh, you know, your mother had died in childbirth, and uh, you'd become you, your father had left for some mysterious reason, and you wanted to find him again. Um, but one of the problems, I think, with I don't know whether it's 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 partly the engine and and the the faces of the characters, which were improved upon for Skyrim, but still some way short of the state of the art. If you think about you know Heavy Rain or Elaine Noir, um, and although uh, they they did much the same as they did with Oblivion in that uh, they they did some they cast three stars uh, the absolutely awesome Ron Perlman is uh, only the narrator and I think he I think he did the same job in, in the earlier games in the series as well um, Malcolm McDowell who's always decent value if, if a bit hammy um, as a president and Liam Neeson as a father and then so many of the other NPCs there are I mean obviously it's a massive production number to voice these this this game world is vast um and therefore you meet a lot of people but pretty much every voice actor in it and there are quite a few voices between five and twenty people um it's like the simpsons yeah only yeah exactly (laughs) they don't change their voices yeah that's 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 it i mean it's not as bad as oblivion for that um which is one of the the most Unimmersing elements of that game, I would say, is that uh, oh look, it's another person with that woman's voice, uh, who sounds just like the last person I met in the last shop in the last town. Um, but this, combined with the fact that I, I just found that the actual there, there's some there's some good stuff in and around there, and there's some decent stuff in the side quest in the DLC, but the main quest just felt a little dry and kind of unengaging to me it's the strangest thing in that a game with such a following and popularity it's i don't even think it's arguable i think it's two weakest elements uh it's main storyline and it's characterization of the characters in the game mm. and yet the game still has something for me it's all about the the moment to moment of being it's the same as Oblivion. It's the same as Skyrim. I love being in a massively explorable virtual world, and this has 
sort of increased uh, complexity in terms of systems, the RPG. They brought in the perks, which are fantastic. You know, you get a great choice every every time you level up of something cool, um, but at the expense of potentially being able to do something else. And um, what about you guys, James? Did you get? I know you're you're very much you know somebody who is motivated by narrative and stuff. Did did yeah. this get you in that way? Um. What I would, I think the the main quest, I followed it through sort of, um, I guess, as it should be, because there are a couple of main missions, as I said, you can skip out. Uh, I didn't, and I think, I do remember uh, meeting Three Dog and going to Galaxy News Radio mm-hmm. and making my way to Rivet City, but almost always, I mean, Th- Three Dog's kind of an exception, I think he was a fairly memorable character. Um, in almost all the other instances, if you met someone that was interesting or you went to a place like Rivet City that's quite interesting, it was almost always the other stuff you could do there that that made it interesting, I think. It, it, didn't, it was rarely what you were doing there as part of the main quest that made it interesting. That kind of just took you to all these places and let you see them to then be able to explore other stuff. So in terms of um, narrative, yeah, I'd say that the, the main narrative... Um, didn't really grab me. It grabbed me enough to keep me moving forward through it, but not dragging me. I wasn't compelled to get through the main quest quickly, which I guess is kind of the point, because Bethesda, I think, didn't want you to want to rush through the main quest (laughs) and then find that you hadn't done anything else. So I think that's what I would say. It was the exploring for me and and sort of creating your own narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The stuff you did outside of the main quest, because the main quest sort of nailed down what's going to happen aside from some morality choices. Um, It's it's where you go and what you choose to do and who you choose to become as a character outside of the main quest that I think made it Mm. uh, interesting for me. Yeah, it's worth noting that Three Dog is one of the only other characters that's played by a voice actor who doesn't play anyone else, a guy called Eric Dellums. Um, not not a famous actor but uh, an experienced one and there he was and that was his voice and it wasn't oh yeah this is that guy who I heard being that NPC in another village kind of thing so, uh, I just think it was great the the fact that you'd kind of heard him a lot before you met on him on the radio and then yeah. once you'd met him you you he was still with you all the rest of the way. Anytime you want to on your pit boy you can tune into radio stations mm. and I think most places you can get Galaxy News Radio um, and you can hear him and he kind of almost narrates your story a little bit it's mainly main quest tied but he will occasionally come on the radio and talk about this has happened and the the Wasteland Wanderer is our hero or you know he's talking about stuff you've done in very sort of sketchy terms but you'd clearly know that it's it's what it's your accomplishment yeah and he's obviously got there's a lot of variance in what he can say or a certain amount based on the decisions the moral decisions you've made and the way you've um, dealt with quests um, this being this game engine uh, there are sort of a number of ways you can end quests uh, even if it's simply to uh, slip a grenade in the back pocket of the quest giver you know (laughs) it really is down to you but I suppose um, I want to talk about the sort of retro futuristic uh, aspect but first like without that highly engaging narrative and, and incredible acting and script and all that and combined with the fact that this is a this is a bleak dark and 
you have to say quite repetitive world there are a lot of underground stations there are a lot of uh, a lot of brown looking hills and stuff what is it that makes this game so damn compelling that people will play it for 100 to 200 hours the hope of seeing something different <laughs> that makes the, it sound like a the, desperately miserable experience <laughs> the idea of finding that unique item that something that other people haven't found I remember mm. uh, chatting with people who'd put as you said, 100, 200 hours into the game. Um, my, my father put over 300 hours into the really? game. Really? It actually got him back into the game wow. in Fallout 3. He hadn't played the game properly since uh, Ocarina of Time. And now he's got his own Xbox and he's going through Max Payne 3 now, so this is well and truly got him back into the game. Very cool. Um, and, yeah, it's it's pretty cool for, a, you know, he's 50 years old and he's, he's rocking the new games. Um I've got like another friend, the one I would converse with. He, he told me once, he said, oh, have you been up to Old Olney and gone behind the box and the building and there's a little hole in the ground and if you go down there, you can go into the sewer and then if you look on the pile, there's an item and it's a, it's an outfit you can wear. Mm. I went, yeah, and he said, oh, he said, it's brilliant. He said, if you get hit, it automatically injects you with Medex and it'll also warn you whether there's an enemy approaching you from behind. <laughs> and I thought, you're, you know, you're making this up. It's ridiculous. I've never heard of this from anyone. <laughs> but lo and behold, there it was. And I'll tell you what, the first time you use it, it put the shits up you because the voice inside it is loud. It's like, it's warning! <laughs> I never found that. And it's a brilliant outfit. And I think I used that for the rest of the game until I had to use the you know, the broken steel sort of armour. Yeah, I remember it. And it, 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 was, it was little items like that, just being able to find something unique. I absolutely just it was the exploration of that game just took over for me yeah for me it was it's it's a, a similar sort of thing I, I actually I did find at times I was getting bogged down with useless items and uh, it takes a while for you to actually sort of work out what's useful and what's crap and you know not just uh, and this is the same again with all games in this engine don't just look in every barrel because you're just going to end up carrying 2,000 weight of potatoes and uh, or rivets you know stuff like this that you don't really need although of course you know in Fallout you can end up fashioning junk into useful weapons and stuff like this but um, it was the memory of, like I always play these games uh, unless unless something actually breaks I always live with my consequences and uh, a guy I was out roaming God knows where um and there's a guy up on a, I was going to say ruined building. They're pretty much all ruined buildings, uh, shooting down at me. And uh, but he had a name. I knew he wasn't a generic uh, yeah. bandit or whatever because um, that's Arkansas, isn't it? I I don't remember. Um, but he's he's shooting down at me now. I I later learned that uh, he's a quest giver, and uh, if you put away your gun, he'll stop shooting at you. But you know, my character said. I was playing it. This as, you know, I, I could have used the 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 game the gamer part of my head and said, right, this there's obviously something to do here. There's 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 a bit of game here that I'm probably about to lock myself out of. But fuck it, this guy's shooting at me, and everyone yeah. else who shoots yeah. at me in this desert, monster or human or mutant alike, they're going to get vats brought up and they're going to get their head popped by whatever gun I'm carrying. Uh, kill cams for the win. Um, and yeah, it's it's exactly that the 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 feeling that you don't yeah it's like in in some ways you could say that your you know your destiny is pre written and everything in there has been placed there by somebody, uh, but 
it's that big that you can convince yourself that you're the first and only person to have ever seen some of these things. And I guess if you were playing it early enough, you may well have been. Yeah, I think it takes a a certain confidence in your own game world and the game that you're creating to allow the player to just completely cut off a side quest or a branch of side quests by killing a, a quest giver. You've really got to got to believe that the, the player's going to find other things that are interesting, even if they accidentally or deliberately kill this character. Or, or you know, by blowing up Megaton, just write off an entire town in the game. Yeah, that's... It, really, it does show a confidence in the world they've built and, and that the player's going to be interested enough in having made that decision and seeing the consequences of it to to carry on and, and not feel like they've been cheated out of something. That's perhaps the most famous uh, sort of moral choice in any video game, or one of them, uh, the, the the megaton decision, which is um, very early and and quite upfront, and and it's made it's made quite clear that you can benefit in certain ways uh, as a character uh, to nuke this entire settlement with all its uh, innocent people in it, uh, but. It's uh, it's obviously you know it's it's morally and ethically not the right thing to do and 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 this uh, and and you know and again in using using the gamer your gaming experience you know that this is likely to it's not like all these quests get picked up and moved to other NPCs that is it you, all the things that you could have done in this town are gone forever I believe yeah it's it's devastating to do it because the way did you guys actually set it off no 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 no, no. Uh, oh you didn't do it. Oh, well, yes. um, they s- yeah, okay. Tell us we're, what happened, sicko. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's it's done so well because they don't sensationalize it. There's no kind of sad music that plays or any anything like that. You just see it off in the distance, and it just you yeah. see the smoke and the fire hit, and then a sound hits way later, and it just makes you go, "Oh shit!" Like <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I just did that. Um, what's there when you go back? Just a crater. Mora, she's still there. But she's a ghoul now. She's all messed up. Oh, okay. So you can still get that quest to S- yeah. survival Sur- of the wastelands, yeah, or wasteland yeah. survival. Ah, yeah. okay. But e- everyone else is gone, and it's just all rubble. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a creepy guy approaches you in the bar, doesn't he, and and suggests Burk. suggests you can do it. But uh, I, yeah, I, I, I killed him straight away. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's dead. And then when I got up ten tenpenny tower, I killed that guy too. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I led a ghoul rebellion into Tempenny Tower, which was uh, wow. Illegal. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the 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 ghouls are in dispute because they want they've got the money to move into Tempenny Tower, but the residents aren't allowing them. That's to. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, so you you go in and try and broker peace, but ultimately I, I don't think there's any way. There's different outcomes, so you can just get rid of the ghouls for Tempenny again, almost like Megaton. You know, they just want rid of them because there's a lot of rich people almost. Um, uh, is it which of the dead films is it where it's a bunch of rich people in a tower and other people trying to buy their way in Diary of the Dead maybe <laughs> Land of the Dead Land of the Dead that's the one yeah. um, it's a bit like that um, and or you can go and you can just sort of diffuse the situation and walk away or you can lead uh, this group of ghouls into Tempenny Tower and then you just stand there and literally watch this army of ghouls come in and massacre them all you can it's, actually uh, lead you can actually Convince the residents of Tempenny Tower to allow the ghouls to live with them as well, in a vote. Yeah, and that is one of the signs of the game's dark humour. Because if you do that, 
you turn up later on and the ghouls have killed them anyway and their answer is yeah. well you know we're ghouls <laughs> yeah. yeah god I can't remember I think and I think yeah. I think that's the quest you get a really handy ghoul mask from as well that you can disguise yes. yourself as a ghoul and it means if you're ever going into a ghoul infested area as long as you don't literally walk right up to some of the feral ghouls then they will leave you alone yeah that's right which is really useful mm. Um, there's a lot of, uh, the, as I say, there's a lot of loot and items and amusingly named weapons. Um, you can, I sort of found myself chopping and changing my loadout quite a lot, as I recall. Uh, if you play the Mothership Zeta DLC, uh, you get hold of some sort of uh, ray gun style weapons. Um, and I, I think, is there is there one weapon in there which is like the best gun in the game? Uh, and you can pretty much use that from then on as long as you've got enough ammo for it which is scarce you yeah. can actually find the gun before the DLC yeah. was it's lying in the wreckage well. if, you, uh, if you were lucky enough to find the wreckage of either of the two ships that uh, fly over at a completely random time you can find the ammunition and then the gun mm, mm. But the ammunition is very, very scarce until you get to Mothership Zeta. And, and even with Mothership Zeta, you can only... Well, you can gather as much ammo as you want, but obviously you're not going to find, like you would bullets or energy cells, you're not going to find it in the world beyond... I think it's like 100 rounds or something you can find actually in the crash sites. Um, and so obviously, although it's very powerful, you need to choose your moment to use it because eventually it will be gone. Because later in the game, I recall... Um you've kind of ended up as a bit of a war machine kind of clanking around in Brotherhood of Steel armour or whatever, I can't remember what the best armour is and taking on large amounts of uh, seriously hard enemies, giant mutants and various things and uh, you can make pretty light work of them Yeah, I I dive back in today and Uh absolutely down to my underwear with no weapon uh, at all I ran over to one of the sentry bots and took it on hand-to-hand combat and took it out and lose, lost maybe a quarter of my health. <laughs> Ridiculously overpowered. And that would wipe you out in a couple of hits, even if you were playing sensibly uh, If when you came out of the, the vault. Yeah. You just didn't have the tools or the stats to be able to deal with it. Um, I actually I made a spreadsheet for this game because I figured out fairly early on from number of bobbleheads and taking the right perks and finding the uh, skill books that I'd be able to max out my stats and Ah. I did, I got 9 on all of my special stats and 100 on all of my individual stats uh, with skill books to spare Um, so yeah it it just makes you unstoppable I I rarely played melee but as I just said you know, I ran up to a robot and and punched it to death so I mean yeah (laughs) Yeah, it can ridiculous, really, but fun. Yeah, it can be pretty satisfying if if messy. There was a certain amount of controversy about the violence, not in the sense that, oh my god, it's uh, it, for heaven's sake, think of the children. It was more like, is it gratuitous in the context of this game? Does it need heads actually blasting off in slow motion and all this kind of thing? Um, does it get old and do you get completely desensitized by you by the time you've? Decapitated the eight thousandth mole rat or whatever. Uh, how did anyone, any of you, feel about that? Uh, yes, it did need it. No, it didn't get old. Needs it? <laughs> yeah, it was cool, wasn't it? Let's be honest, it was funny. It, it was cool, and I, th- I think it's also. I, none of us have played the old ones, but I think that's also a staple of the Fallout series. Mm. From what I read, it's it's always been a 
outrageously gory franchise, so I think that's just keeping in line. Yeah, for me it was, uh, it, it made me think of uh, like a Paul Verhoeven Robocop kind of thing, it's 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 exactly. it's this uh, sort of, look, the future's so fucked up, everyone's just basically mush. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I mean, it actually gets to the point where it's, uh, Scanners is the film I'd really yeah, like to, yeah. because literally heads... Burst. You know, it's the, your enemies turn to chunks quite frankly at some point yeah. and that's even without the bloody mess perk which just, ah, that, yes. I mean that seems mm. so over the top because it, and again that's a staple of the, the series it, that seems very unnecessary at that point because I, I suppose what they're trying to get across is the brutality of the world in which you live although I think with or without the gore that comes across as we've discussed with the, the moral choices and the real sort of downbeat uh, outlook that it lays at, at the feet of you know humanity, um, but it, it never got to me in that way because that's itself, aside from the effect of of you know seeing the enemy die, that's itself was very satisfying to use for me. Um, so just going into pausing the game and, and targeting almost always the head. I'll be honest. yeah, always yeah. Um, <laughs> especially if you've got because you get perks to upgrade your critical chance, yeah. perks to upgrade vats. So uh, there was one uh, the Grim Reaper perk, I think it is, where you, if an enemy dies in vats, then you, it replenishes all your action points. So if you're powerful enough, then you walk into a room and you just target one enemy, take them out, next enemy, and you literally go enemy to enemy and you just take them all out before they've even had a chance to fire a shot at you. Which is, um, yeah, it just made the combat so much fun. Uh, and the the gore side of it, I don't know whether it's fair to say desensitized, but it it certainly never got to me in the way that it probably should have. I don't know. <laughs> I think it alters it with like a, a heavy hand in comedy, doesn't it? It's it's mm. never meant to be serious. It, the whole game has a dark humour from the second that you're in tranquility lane and you're shoving a roller skate on some stairs to break some woman's neck and. <laughs> yeah, and just the presentation of the of the the animations of the perks and things like that, all the Pip Boy stuff. Um, and again, I believe this carries over from the original games. It is it's not just it's not supposed to be a kitchen sink vision of a post nuclear world. It's uh, it does have a yeah, it does have a its tongue a little bit in its cheek. Wish on the moon and look. For the gold in a rainbow And you'll find happy thoughts You'll hear a tune That lives in the heart of a bluebird And you'll find happy thoughts Though things may look very dark Your dream is not in vain For when do you find a rainbow Only after Um, to, to continue talking about the bloody mess perk, uh, we have a forum comment here from a Neckymancer, I think that's how he says it. He says, my most positive memory of the game was the bloody mess perk. That was so much fun and provided so many laughs. 
he then goes on, and there's probably some points worth discussing here. I'm not exactly negative about the rest of the game, it's just not my style. I enjoyed it and got more into it than any of the Elder Scrolls games, which I've found very odd that I can't get into, despite my love of the fantasy genre. The main issue for me is that I like a really focused and story-driven game, while this one felt pretty aimless to me. Basically, for myself, it's a system of requiring at least two from interesting story immersive, mechanically fun. I enjoyed the story far more than New Vegas, but it felt really bursty. Plot, 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 then 20 minutes of aimless wandering trying to figure out how the hell to get from point A to point B without introducing my insides to the outside, arriving at point B for another chunk of plot, followed by another block of travel time to C. The story was definitely interesting, though, and I really did enjoy it. Just felt the pacing wasn't fantastic for strictly following the story. I will note here that I didn't play the DLC, so I have no idea how the pacing was. I frankly became far more immersed in Dark Stroke Demon Souls than I did in Fallout. Another point interesting here. I think the quick save, quick load function really took me out of the game. I literally could do anything I wanted with no consequence. I mean, this this is a conversation to have about any game with with quick save and quick load, but I must admit I did abuse it in in Fallout. I think the interesting thing is that most people's complaints about the save system was that the quick save took too long and it was mm. wasn't I think I'm right in saying it wasn't until Mass Effect 3 that anyone actually thought hang on even though you're on a console we can just put a button as a quick save button um, and it's it, it's something that I've long wanted in Fallout and then uh, New Vegas and Skyrim is just make that back button a quick save button I have a memory of others, a few other yeah, games. possibly, um, but, but it's, it's certainly yeah. one that was lamented with Fallout because I think people loved having, you know, F5 on, on a keyboard just to quickly save and, and doesn't interrupt the flow of your game. You don't have to go into a menu and then you're back underway almost without pausing. So I was just going to say, I think the quick save and the quick load features of any RPG are often the most hotly discussed at launch. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of scenario. Uh, there was a game released not too long ago. I'm struggling to remember which one it is, and people were complaining because you couldn't fast save and fast load, um, and that there was an outcry over that. And people complain if it's in there and say it's was too it, easy. Was that Amalur? I'm not sure. It anyway. might have been, and it, I, I just think it's a little unfair. It's one of those processes you have to make at the very start of a game's, you know, production. Are you going to allow people to save it? Well, yeah. in a game the size of Fallout 3, which is huge, I think the whole fast save, fast load allows you to see both sides of the coin. And you, you, when you're 80 hours into a game and you make a decision, should you really be limited into having to make that decision to know that you have to play 80 hours again to see the other option? Yeah, it is It is tough. Um, because I do understand what Nekimance is saying. Um, and, and certainly he... he he goes on to say, quick save, attempt to steal something, reload if fail. I didn't do that, but he would. He said, I'd routinely wipe out the inhabitants of various towns to test, see how strong <laughs> I'd gotten. Um, but also, you could you could view that as a pro in that it did allow to, you could take your frustrations out sometimes, or just to see what how the game engine would cope. So, for instance, one point I did that, I quick saved, and then manually killed everyone in megaton just to see like to, i had the whole village chasing me around you know like uh, amongst the favelas kind of uh, trying to run me out of town and I end up killing them all and the only one that's left is the sheriff's son because you can't kill kids in it uh so and he's uh, and then the 
Yeah, true. Um, not yeah, not in in hand to hand combat. And then the sheriff's son is kind of going. My dad wanted you to have these keys to the city. <laughs> so, uh, I think I've think I've broken the game here. Uh, yeah. Um, another point Neckymancer makes: the silent player character also takes me out of games like this. I know it's essential for the world roaming free explorer type of game for true role playing, but it makes the story and world harder for me to fall into. Uh, the game plays well enough and I felt that Vance was fantastic if not basically required on the 360 but the mechanics mainly felt like putting us in a series of commands to be able to make point A to point B to C travel as opposed to being actually fun I tried it without Vats and it felt just incredibly weak and unfun shooter Fallout 3 is my favourite of this type of game between Elder Scrolls and Fallout 3 Stroke New Vegas I would definitely recommend people to check it out if they somehow missed it just to see if it grabs them I can definitely see and understand why people truly love these games it's just not for me uh, Silent Protagonist um, s- strength or weakness for you fellows I think it's a necessity really I, I think well pr- probably in terms of voicing a character through all of the the dialogue that has got to be and not only that but all the different choices that you would have to make and not big choices just conversation choices because you do have a lot of op- different options uh, through dialogue trees um, I think it would almost be Mass Effect managed it though it did but I don't think it had quite the giant number of conversations I mean you, you can literally have a multi-direction conversation with multiple with almost everyone you know you can talk to everyone and have a conversation and choose your responses and it's an awful yeah. lot for them to do es- yes. especially when the character creator allows you to create any sort of character would you then mm. also have to have multiple voices to suit the character that you would created you know for uh, myself if I wanted to play as me an American accent to the main character wouldn't work but for Sean it would Th- and ad infinitum on that so you're talking ridiculous amounts of voice work. Yeah, even even just both genders would be enormous. I, if you have a voiced protagonist, you fall into the same potential pitfall that something like Mass Effect, as an obvious comparison, has. In that, I know a lot of people, yourself included, Leon, don't mm. like the male John Shepard. They don't think his voice work is very good. Whereas the female Shepard is excellent. And... The other thing that obviously Mass Effect does is it is a different kind of RPG is that every conversation piece is directed in all of Bethesda's games. It's a head-on sort of that's who you're talking to all the background pauses, nothing goes on Mm. in Mass Effect. Everything is filmed, you get different camera angles, you see shots of yourself over the shoulder all atmospheric effect into that game. It's an unfair comparison to compare the two games. I would like more direction. I don't have a problem with my voice, my character not having a voice. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, so you're saying I think uh, that uh, you know Skyrim, um, they they made a very slight uh, alteration in that you can move the camera about and stuff, yeah. um, but it still has the same two characters locked into position, or or more than two sometimes. Um, and that is your direction. It makes every conversation feel very mechanical and stilted and, and not very organic or natural. People, you know, even like, you know, it was a uh, much reviled direction by George Lucas in, in, in the Star Wars prequels, but, you know, because all his characters did was walk on the screen and walk to the right and stop and then carry on walking while they talk to each other. But even that in this game would be an improvement on the locked you know uh the one shot on the 
on the on the on the person you're talking to. And the conversation tree is weak as well because it goes through the process of well, I'm just going to ask you everything anyway. Mm. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Harrier says, "Fantastic game. I put about 180 hours into the main game and still didn't actually do everything." The retro-futurism stroke Raygun gothic setting and style was extremely odd at first, but once I got used to it, it was brilliantly done. As someone who had gone pretty much directly from Oblivion, brackets 200 hours or so, a lot of the game design elements were familiar, but there was also a lot of distinct differences which set Fallout 3 apart. The VAT system was a little odd. At first I didn't really use it, as I found that my weapons were too weak to really make use of it, and it was more entertaining to fight in real time. As I got better weapons, it became a great part of the game, until I'd levelled up enough that I was exploding heads with a single shot most of the time, at which point I switched back to real-time combat, until I came across some tougher enemies. The perk system was probably the biggest change from Oblivion. Many of the earlier perks are more or less sensible practical perks that can make a real difference to your gameplay. Better accuracy with certain weapons, more looting containers and so on. But the fun really starts when you get a bit further and open up some of the more entertaining perks. Who wouldn't want enemies to explode into even gorier lumps when killed? (laughs) It made the character progression more accessible than in many RPGs and also allowed one to change the nature of their character as they progressed and combined with the more traditional levelling system, level increases after a specific amount of XP is earned, meant the RPG side of the game was less confusing than Oblivion. The humour is a pretty major part of the Fallout franchise. It tends towards black humour, this is evident throughout the game. For instance, the presence of Bethesda Softworks' old office building within the game, little more than a charred ruin. Charred ruin is pretty much a description of the majority of the game world. With a few exceptions, the majority of the capital wasteland is unremittingly bleak and filled with people who want to do violence upon you. Having been to Washington, D.C. myself, I thought he was going to say it's a startlingly accurate portrayal of that. <laughs> no, he says, it's quite surreal seeing places and landmarks that I had actually visited replicated in the game. The attention to detail is quite fantastic. It was, as with uh, most Bethesda games, somewhat buggy on release, but I didn't find too many issues on my Xbox 360 playthrough. However, a Deathclaw mistakenly spawning inside one of my houses caused some consternation, (laughs) not to mention some brown trousers. Those things are big and massively violent. Fallout 3, one of my favourite games of all time. Yeah, Deathclaws came up a lot on the forum thread, uh, people uh, reminiscing about the the fear of of Deathclaws. I don't remember I think by the end, you're you're even overpowered when it comes to Deathclaws. I remember, there's, isn't there one place where there's like a whole an, uh, an arena with Deathclaws in or uh, something? Deathclaws, is it Sanctuary? Yeah. yeah. That's scary at first, because I think when you, when you... Well, you know, it depends. Um, I can't remember. Does this game do the same thing as Oblivion and the world levels up with you, or does it not? I know there's a lot of creatures that are going to kill you instantly at the start of the game. There are, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, think, I think they do level up a bit, but you out-level them quite... Yeah. significantly so yeah I mean death caused by the end of the game weren't that big of a trouble for me however if, if you ran into a group of four or five of them you'd certainly start feeling a lot more nervous about them even towards the end but um, yeah I think the, the bugs that uh, Matt mentions um, were a bit uh, were, were an issue I think perhaps we'll talk about Fallout New Vegas in, in a bit and that mm-hmm. I think suffered more from uh people suffering from bugs um, but yeah. in, in this case I had maybe two or three times the console hard locked and, and like you said Leon you get used to saving uh, I played 145 hours on my 360 playthrough uh, and had 
1,211 saves. I just checked today. So, <laughs> wow, I, mean, I can't. I, I, obviously, I didn't keep all of those, but it keeps track of number yeah, of number, times you've yeah. saved. Uh, so I, I, I've actually got about five or six saves left at key points through the game mm. um, so that I could go back and change my morality when I went up different levels. Um, and Scientific, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had one at level seven because there was an achievement for your level eight morality, and yeah, so on and so forth. Ah, um, gaming uh, the system. But my final one was twelve hundred and eleven. Yeah, so a nice. Lot of saves, a lot of saves. Yeah, I gather uh, as with all Gamebryo engine games, uh, the PS3 version is probably, if you have the choice, awful. Yeah, is it that bad? Yeah, it's it's very bad. I, I played it initially on three hundred and sixty when it came out, and that was. You know, finding a couple of hitches, but I, having just replayed the PS3 version last week, it's it's a mess. Frame rates, frame rates bad. It looks terrible. A lot of jaggies and mm-hmm. a lot of hard locks. The whole the whole deal. It was New Vegas all over again. Hopefully, they've uh, with all the work they've had to do retroactively on Skyrim, they have actually learned a little about how to get the best out of the PlayStation Three. Uh, although they may never make another game for it, I guess at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but um, yes. Yeah, so, if you do have the choice, obviously PC is probably the one to go for if you have the right rig and the right screen. But if you want to play it on your couch, the 360 is like a perfectly functional and if slightly less, you know, pretty or you know, maybe you don't get quite the same frame rate out of it or whatever. But it's a damn fine version nonetheless um, the retro futurism aspect now I wanted to discuss this because I don't really understand like it's cool um, but I don't really understand how it comes about so in the mythos of Fallout global nuclear war uh, happens in the year 2077 and yet all the music and technology seems to be well the music is all from the 1930s 40s and early 50s the technology appears to be the vision of the future that America had in same era. Uh, why is that when global nuclear war... Like, if they'd set it in the 50s or something, if they'd said nuclear war happened in the 50s, that would make some kind of sense. Like, that's when music stopped being made and all this. But the fact that it it's set in, you know, near the... T- towards the end of the century that we're currently in, in the real world, why did they go for this particular styling aesthetic whatever you want to call um, it I, I think well the the 50s was sort of leading into the height well and and also the height of the the fear over nuclear war so it the makes cold war it, yeah it, yeah it, it makes sense that it would be culturally that time um and and to be able to see that i mean almost white picket fence suburbia yeah destroyed by the very thing that it feared is is Again, it's an it's a, um, part of the black humor of of the universe. As for why, um, I suppose what basically what they've done is they've said sort of culturally, if you like, um, we froze America in the fifties, but mm. technologically we needed to move them forward so that power armor and and some of the rifles like the Gauss rifle and stuff like that um, could exist, and the the energy weapons and and that sort of thing could exist we need to move forward and so like you say it's it's the vision of the future that people had in the 50s but in terms of culture and aesthetic and and you know the vault boy posters that are around the place and that sort of thing that's all they decided to freeze it just i think it's a stylistic choice isn't it 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 makes it most darkly funny to see that that side of our history 
being ravaged by the very thing that it feared. Uh, that's all I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love the use of the music on, on particularly on the radio stations, and I think you can actually uh, can you, get, you can get a jukebox in your house later on. Um, yeah. I mean, a jukebox in itself. Um, but it's odd the idea that uh, no records, whether it be vinyl or, or you know, you could you could say, well, no no CD survived because they all melted or whatever, and vinyl is more durable than that, like cockroaches. Um, no no digital music survived. But why did why did the record libraries from pre nineteen fifty four or whatever only survive? So you only have uh, you know uh, Bob Crosby, Billy Holiday, Danny Kaye, Ella Fitzgerald, people like that, the Ink Spots. Um, I mean, it, it works wonderfully well um and i think the use of i don't want to set the world on fire at the start is absolutely immense but it's it never it it's never quite explained for me it's all very anti-war music isn't it that's in the game you, you, you just have to assume that's like the government didn't want anything that could incite the public into war and stuff like that it's it's sort of it's sort of there you, i think it's just a case of accepting it just for stylistic reasons yeah, um, and there's also, of course, one of the other radio stations is the uh, is the sort of uh, extreme um, patriot uh, <laughs> right wing marching band music. Cause it's all Colonel Bogey and stuff like that, isn't it? Um, what is that? That's the is that the sum total of because I mean you pretty much have the choice of the kind of music you want to walk around to. I I I doubt that many people choose the marching band music over the uh, over the classic records, but I could be wrong. No, I think the the marching music's there I mean you see some of the um, sort of propaganda bots yes, flying yeah. around playing that music and I think it's there for that reason in all honesty so that when you're walking around you may just start to hear that yep. just as you're yeah. out in the wastelands but the the music is as you say it's it's from the trailer and from the start of the game it's that moment where you're inside the bus looking at the radio and it pulls back and you realise actually this isn't what you thought it was mm. and I think it's just for that juxtaposition uh, yes. of the, the sort of slightly jaunty 50s um, style set next to this futuristic wasteland um, yeah. Is, yeah. is why they've done it. So. And everyone loves a bit of Americana as well. It probably seems more exotic to us than it does to Sean, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still waiting for the. Uh, the well, I suppose there is. Uh, I'm tr- trying to think of uh, post some kind of apocalypse uh, game set in England. There's only Resistance, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, Sonic Mole says Fallout Three is one of my all-time favourite games. I loved exploring every nook and cranny of the capital wasteland. What at first appears to be a barren, dusty environment is in fact full of little vignettes of life in a post-apocalyptic world with stunning attention to detail. The moment I always recall when thinking of the attention to detail in Fallout 3's game world is a fairly insignificant one. On walking into a derelict petrol station, my character set off a booby trap. I watched in amazement as a highly elaborate trigger mechanism went through its motions, bringing a domino rally of the game Mousetrap to mind. The fact that such love, care and wit was put into such nondescript destination of the game's vast map really impressed me, as is indicative of the game's brilliance. That actually reminds me of uh, the moment where I, I I can pinpoint the moment where I fell in love with Fallout 3 and it's, cool. it's um is a town kind of to the west of uh, 101 called Andale yes and there's no there's no quest to be had there at all you just you come across <clears throat> like three buildings and inside two of the buildings are these two families that are completely oblivious to everything going on around them <laughs> And they think that uh, America is the best, and we, why don't you sit down with us, and we're going to have some dinner, and it's all going to be great. 
And then you're like, oh, you guys seem kind of creepy. So you walk <laughs> out and you, you go around the corner to another house and there's an old man in there. And he's saying, don't listen to them. They're all nuts. And uh, then if you stick around, you can break into the shed behind one of the houses. And inside it's just full of corpses and, and uh, <laughs> blood bags and all that kind of stuff. And you figure out that these people have been cannibalizing this whole time. Any kind of wanderer who walks through. And then you walk out and then they're all sitting outside the shed waiting for you and they all start attacking unless you can talk them out of it and say yeah you guys you guys this is a great idea i'd like to join you and then they, they won't attack you at all and that whole moment just it didn't have to happen at all i could have never walked across andale nothing told me to go there there's no quest there nothing but just the spontaneity of that whole scene was as uh, sonic Bowl was saying just that kind of detail was brilliant Are those the was that the the group of people who were uh taking uh people from another town there, there's there's a quest, isn't there? Where no, that's um, no. Th- you're thinking of the they're like um, vampires or something. The family who are a group of vampires who are taking mm-hmm. a town mm-hmm. called yeah. uh, Arefu. Yeah, that's one of my favourite um, side missions. Actually, really liked it. Yeah, it goes all it sort of feels a bit more. Uh, I don't know, don't know about survival horror, but go, going down that road atmospherically anyway. Yeah. Andy Karusaki says, having never played the series before and struggled to get into oblivion I wasn't sure what to expect from this but after starting it 100 plus hours just shot past an outstanding game packed with brilliant moments like the megaton decision the bloody mess perk shooting jaws off in vats mode gaining health back by eating people causing disgust in any civilians that saw me doing it pickpocketing some unsuspecting prick and shoving a grenade in his kecks for good measure the town being run by a crazed civilian declaring himself mayor (laughs) On top of that, there's loads of things you notice while wandering the wasteland that have nothing to do with any quests. They're just there to discover if you feel like it. Oh, and the music was atmospheric and great too. One of the biggest laughs for me came when a radio announcer said, Mad Dog would have done this show, but some bastard killed him. Well, he did slag me off on an earlier show, calling me, rightfully, the scourge of the wasteland, so I killed him. Made me laugh anyway. One One of the best games this generation has to offer. Simple as that. Mr. McFluffin says, The only game I've played through twice after losing a 30-hour game save. The highlight for me was finding a vault full of clones called Gary. A surprise (laughs) round every corner, an atmospheric as a fluffy cloud. Uh, Yeah, that was... uh, Some people uh, commented that the the Gary vault is really creepy. uh, And it sort of is, but it's also quite funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of my most memorable moments, definitely. I'm I'm very happy someone actually mentioned that. It's... I don't know if I prefer it as much as I like the Superhuman Gambit side mission or Tranquility Lane, but it's definitely incredibly memorable. Please elaborate uh, on those those missions, Carl. Well, Tranquility Lane's the one in the main quest line where you follow your dad into the um, the computerized world, and it's yeah, all the simulation, it, yeah, yeah, and it's all black and white and perfect sort of America uh, picket fences, and there's a person telling you that you have to become. Uh, the is it the, the I can't remember the name of the killer. It's like a child killer, and it's in all the press. And uh, you have to do these sort of missions, and it'll give you the info, or she'll give you the information you want. Um, and it, that's where I mentioned the killing the woman with a roller skate, or you can mm-hmm. leave the gas on on her oven, or uh, you you. There's so many sort of little quirky things to do. Um, you can get the bot, uh, the robot helper to to kill her. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's all these different ways. Of, this is where the sort of the the fast load sort of came in. I, I wanted to see each and every perk. I, I decided to, that the old roller skate on the stairs to break a neck was the funniest. 
Um, it's always a good gag, I find. Uh, and that it was just so different to everything else in that world that I enjoyed. Mm. And and of course, the superhuman gambit is one that everyone's going to remember. Where you walk into a town, and there's a superhero and a, uh, I suppose, another superhero or a supervillain. That's right. Fighting each other in the streets. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, one of them's. Uh, not Ant-Man, but yeah, something one like that is a superhero based around ants, and the other one is a superhero based around robots. That's right. Yes, no, it's a bee, isn't it? Ants versus bees? I forget. I can't even no, remember. That, but yeah, yeah the ants—the one I always remember—the antagonizer. That's it, antagonizer. And yeah, I think you're right, James. I think it's some somebody robotic, and you have to take a side. Uh, it's it's so to finish brilliant. the quest. Freeman Edge says, I first picked up Fallout 3 on the 360, but just wasn't able to get into it. This seems to, it's an interesting one. There's a few people have said that. and uh, But, but uh, hey, there's a twist coming. Uh, and abandoned the game after a few hours. It was too bleak and too much of a slog. With hindsight, I was probably playing it wrong. I approached it the same way I approached the Elder Scrolls games. As soon as I got the freedom to, I ignored my quest pointers and just went off on my own. That couple of hours was extremely punishing and hard work. I picked it up again later and I saw the Game of the Year edition for sale on the PC. This time, once I got out of the vault, I followed the quest line for a couple of hours and found it a much better game. It really got its hooks into me and I put in at least 100 hours, eventually getting the full 1,550 Games for Windows Live achievement points. One of my favourite games of the last few years. A couple of my favourite moments... Building the railway line... Uh, no. <laughs> Building the <laughs> railway rifle after finally getting all the parts together. And when I shot it for the first time, it decapitated a raider and nailed the head to a nearby post. <laughs> Stumbling into Vault 108, a derelict, decrepit-looking place in the middle of nowhere, you learn that it's a secret cloning experiment. Destroyed in some kind of accident, you then meet the residents, all violent and all called Gary, which was also the only word they could say. Exploring the mountains and finding the settlement of Oasis, a weird cult that lives there, and the talking mutant tree man that they worship. This weird and wonderful location and the quest opened up felt like a brilliant reward for exploration. Making my way through the hold of the UFO in Mothership Zeta DLC and finding a bay full of rows and rows of the giddy-up buttercup robotic horse toy. It was just funny and strangely unsettling sight. Made more so when a few rooms later you find something that looks like a test chamber with a single toy in the middle and a number of dead bodies who appear to have been trying to escape from it. I think um, no one's mentioned it yet, I don't think. We've mentioned it in passing, but uh, I think one of my favourite sections of the entire game, and obviously playing it the way I did it was just a part of the game for me, was I think the Point Lookout DLC was was my favourite section, uh, certainly my favourite DLC bit. Um... Because the atmosphere of that, you you kind of go to a whole different place um, along the coast in a in a boat. Um, re- really. Louisiana, isn't it? I think is it based around Louisiana. Yeah, it's like a New, or- New Orleans. Yeah, kind of thing. and it and the atmosphere is very different. Uh, it's more kind of, it's got more of that sort of. It, yeah, it's, I think there are some there are a few new monsters and things, but there's a lot of the same ones. There's a few kind of crazy um, swamp living sort of hick type characters and and things like this and it it feels almost there's a sort of Lovecraftian thing going on like we talked about with uh, Eternal Darkness um, and some cool quests uh, a, a, a ghoul dude in a big mansion and various things that was pretty cool yeah, the quest where you get high basically and walk through the swamp yeah. and everything starts changing around you. Yeah, th- it's terrifying. That's right. That that uh, it, there's there's one in Skyrim that reminded me of that. The one where you go into the mind of 
the the mad guy. Uh, it's uh, Bethesda sort of. Um, there are certain things that they they sort of quest styles that they they try to repeat in each game. I think. Um, yeah, that's right. You get absolutely off your tits on some drug, um, and uh, you end up. You're looking for these little. Uh, mannequins or idols or something, aren't you? Well, it's it, it's a, a little it's bobbleheads. That's it. They all say they all say different weird stuff, making fun of you, basically. Bobbleheads. Now, there's something we should talk about. Uh, I ended up going back in with a guide. Did anyone seek them all out for themselves? Honestly, I couldn't even bother. I think I found, I found small. two. I found eighteen yeah. of twenty. On your uh, j- just on your own. On my own. Yeah, I I got I think I got the same eighteen and then checked guides for the last two. Yeah. Because um, I think there's one of them in particular that you have to be careful. Well, two of them in particular you have to be careful to get them at the right times. Um, mm. One of which is in the the vault you start in, so obviously you can get that at the start, or you can get it when you go back in to revisit in the main quest line. Um, but after that, I think pretty much whatever happens the second time you go into the vault. 101, that's the last time you can go in there um, and the other one is um, when you are captured by President Eden and Colonel Autumn um, towards yes. the end of the main quest, there's one in there that you have to get at that time as well um, alright so so yeah, I think you could quite easily miss those two if, if you were unlucky and not be able to get them um, but yeah, I, I got all 20 Um because obviously it boosts your um, yes, they're not just your skills. That's that's the good thing about them, as well as being uh, an an outside of the game achievement or trophy uh, for getting them. They actually are worth getting in game, and you have a little display stand in your house, which is which is cool. Um, I certainly uh, lovingly decorated my uh, Megaton house. Um, could was were there any other properties you could get in the game? I only ever cared about my Megaton house. You could live in Tenpenny Tower if you blew Megaton up. Right. So, okay. So those are the options. Um, and, yeah, so... And you get the option to kit out your house with all the all the gadgets, including a helper droid who welcomes you home and a jukebox. Tells you a joke. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's quite a few jokes as well. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he's quite funny, actually. In a funny sort of way. Uh, we've talked briefly about companions. As with other games in this series, you can get uh, you can get um, not this series in this engine. You can get uh, people to fight alongside you, help you out. Um, one of those companions in this game is a dog. Um, this was all the rage in two thousand and eight. Game that came out the same day also had a dog in it, Fable Two, and that was the one I ended up playing before and uh, played through this, which seems mental in hindsight. But no, uh, that makes sense. Well, it was shorter. Uh, and it wasn't as good. Yeah, I suppose. It wasn't as bad as Fable 3, though. But that's another podcast. Uh, Lego Solo talks about the uh, the companion, Dogmeat. I had him for so long, but alas, one night while searching a vault full of super mutants, he was slain while attempting to protect his master. I let out a scream as his body crumpled to the floor. I fell <laughs> beside him full of sorrow and anger. I then raised from my knees gun shaking in my hands and charged the mutant who had ended my friend's life he fell in a hail of bullets meat and bones strewn across the rusty floor i wasn't done there were more and none of them would see it through the night one after another fell to my rage by the end the walls were covered with their blood and guts and i stood in the middle of the carnage painted red 
I took one last look over my shoulder at my dear, dear friend, a tear escaping my eye as I holstered my gun and walked back out to the lonely wastes. Uh, my my experience with, with uh, dog meat was that when I got him, I uh, wanted to protect him, so I just told him to go home and left him there. <laughs> So I couldn't, I couldn't actually have because I knew I knew he'd come a cropper. So I just thought, well, I'll save myself that heartache that obviously Lego Solo went through, and it went in men- made him go absolutely crazy. So I, I just kept him at home. Anyone else? Yeah. Had, he, he was featured in uh, in some of the sort of promotional animations, wasn't he? I Dog think Meat. he was also in. Was he not in Fallout One and Two? I believe he's one of the recurring characters that they used. Okay. Oh, good knowledge. Fallout. I had him for um, five yeah. minutes. Five minutes is all he lasted in my game. All right, yeah, I've had I've had that with human companions, but you know, there's it's it's like it's just like in films, you can watch as many people die as you want, but when a when an animal dies, it's so much more heartbreaking. <laughs> I, I didn't actually uh, ever find him. For all the oh. hours I spent and all the searching I did, I would go to every single location I could and loot it for all it's worth, but I never actually found him. Fox was the only companion I had, and mm. you know, obviously I kept him around because he was almost unkillable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, d- didn't find any other companions, and I had opportunities to get other companions, I should say, but uh, they're morality based, and obviously some of them would only come with you if you had uh, negative morality or neutral morality. Um, and in all honesty, I wasn't interested. It felt like a solo exploration game to me, and that was what I was happy doing. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about these games. I, I never particularly enjoy having companions. I've I've used them in uh, Skyrim just to simply um, use them as not cannon fodder exactly, but to distract the AI. Uh, yeah, using them as a tank almost. Yeah, uh, but they they tend to die quite quickly, so I I try not to get attached. Hmm. Uh, final comment from the forum comes from Spoon Six. Uh, he says, having been a keen Commodore 64 gamer, but enjoying the 16-bit machines mostly vicariously, and only having the odd tinker with the most obvious PS1 and PS2 titles, I returned to PC gaming with a bang for Fallout 3, upgrading my aging desktop with a new CPU graphics card, The Lot. Some of the biggest gaming podcasts and websites wouldn't shut up about the game for quite a while before its release and after seeing a couple of teaser videos I had decided that this would be a great title for me to return to PC gaming for. I had been completely unaware of the previous Fallout titles but the setting and the idea of being able to have that much impact in the world completely sold me. But how much impact could I really have? Soon after emerging from the vault and making my way to Megaton my newly found friend Sheriff Lucas Sims was killed by Mr Burke. And I had had the chance to save him. Fuck. I swore to avenge him, to save his boy Harden and the town of Megaton. The chatty mutants, the scares, the humour, the senseless killing. Vats, goddammit, vats. That amazing, surely incongruous soundtrack that fits so well. Though I played most of the game listening to Enonzer's great ambient pieces as I trudged through the beautifully rendered debris and filth. After completing the original vanilla game, I played through the entirety of Oblivion and expansions before returning to Fallout 3 when the Game of the Year came out. However, I found that completing and enjoying the original game again with the new additions and their variations on the gameplay weren't enough to keep me interested, bar a couple of highlights. Whatever, I had saved the wasteland. Twice. My work was done. The gameplay allowed me to overlook some of the graphical problems, characters occasionally getting stuck on geometry, etc., and even some of the more annoying fetch quests. Yes, Moira Brown, I'm thinking of you. (laughs) But overall, Fallout 3 was a landmark gaming moment for me. Uh, Yeah, there were... were, uh, 
I think um, apart from the lockup, as, as you mentioned earlier, I did see the thing. You, uh, and again, this, these are sort of classic uh, get bugs of this engine, where you would get um, a, a model, whether it be a, a monster or a person, that would kind of get caught in between, you know, clip wrong or whatever. But then it would turn into this kind of weird. Sort of flickering, stretching, oozing mess as it desperately tried to rectify its geometry um, and would end up kind of pinging around and sometimes flying off into the sky and things like that. That's uh, that's the bug that I remember the most. But it's uh, it's pretty funny. I know some people are reporting just random objects dropping out the sky and things like that. But cars often a lot would fly around in the PS3 version, just in the sky, just flying cars everywhere. Oh, oh cool, like <laughs> Metropolis, <laughs> just like Metropolis. Um, let's uh, let's summaries before we go on to our three word reviews. Um, any, I think we we know roughly where we're going with this, but um, any good? Should people pick it up? Um, fond memories, etc. Start with Carl Moon. Certainly, for the price on the Game of the Year edition, you won't get much better value for money mm. for duration of title and yeah. Fallout Three. Um, I think the reader reviews alone say that whether it's for good or bad it's certainly a key title this generation and for many people it's if not the best title this generation certainly up there uh, I pride myself on playing a lot of games and I would find it hard not to place it in the top 5 if not higher uh, there's so many moments that are incredibly memorable from that game as we mentioned earlier on the blowing up of Megaton is one of the hardest morality choices I've ever experienced in the game and the reward of course is it's also one of the most memorable moments purely from a sound perspective if you've got 5-1 sound you will be hard pushed to find anything more impressive than that nuclear weapon Hmm. going off you've got the incredibly interesting and quirky side quests that we've mentioned the unique weapons like there's weapons that you may not necessarily find, I found a weapon called the terrible shotgun which Hmm. As RPG law goes, there's always a terrible shotgun, which is never, in fact, terrible. It was outstandingly mm. good. Uh, I used that pretty much from the point that I picked it up through to the end. There's the armor I found. There's People may describe the game as bleak. However, there's so many unique individual buildings. Very few things feel like they're copied and pasted and stamped all over the world. You know, you've got, like... Uh, the Republic of Dave in the north. You've got Old Olney, which there's factories there. You've got the the quirky little white picket fence towns. You've got the vaults. The subways are maybe the the biggest down point, but you need them for transit. And there's so much in there that it's it's difficult to put it in sort of context of what it's going to offer a single person. But the simply on the price give it a go if you don't like it at least you've played a game that is key to an entire generation of gaming Sean? well um, I feel like if you're listening to this you probably already know about it and maybe have already played it but if not uh, it's, it's possible to, to not like it at first but I would say give it a shot and, and give it some time to mm. build on you um, it's a very rewarding game altogether <clears throat> and uh for for the love of everything holy don't get the PS3 version yeah good call James yeah just talking uh, about it again uh, on the podcast I loved every minute I played through 
uh, Xbox 360 and PC versions to, I guess, technically these days, completion is all the achievements. So uh, in both cases, to completion. Wow. Um, and and still, I'm talking to you guys about stuff that I've not seen in the game. That that's kind of ridiculous for having spent 300 hours with a game playing through it twice, essentially. Um, but just, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, Leon, you mentioned Arkansas, who was this crazy old sniper. Mm. Um, my interaction with him was to sneak up and put a slaver collar on him for a group of slavers who tasked me with finding four people in the in the world to enslave oh. who were enemies of theirs. So the, the fact that this, this one crazy old character had such different impacts on our games... Mm. Uh, but but still felt like a, a fulfilling, albeit very minor, side character. Uh, enough that we both remember him. Um, the fact that uh, we can talk about you know the way they chose to end the game uh, and and this, the attitude we had towards towards saving the game as being significant, whether we liked them or disliked them, I I think shows that you know Bethesda put a lot of effort into bringing. A beloved series of or game franchise back and made it modern, but didn't, as far as we can tell, obviously having not been uh, players of the the original games, didn't uh, lose sight of what it was supposed to be and what it represented for those gamers as well. is uh, is a testament to 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 you know what they have the time they put in the effort and the the risk they took I think because it, it was a risk to to make a game this big and this bold um, but I think they did a, a great job all in all yeah I would say that uh, well a few things um, yes if you have a 360 or a PC you should at least try this game and as Sean and several of our correspondents said it's worth giving it another go even if you didn't didn't get into it the first time uh, give it some time. Um, if you're one of those people that was a huge fan of Fallout 1 and 2 and was so offended by the idea of it going to a different developer and changing to a first-person game so that they never tried it, for the love of God, give it a go. I'm sure I'm sure most of you did, but, uh, but you might be pleasantly surprised. Um, talking about it again is actually making me want to uh, download the PC version of New Vegas, which I never played and we haven't mentioned properly up to this point, so let's quickly do that. Uh, I didn't get New Vegas at the time. I think it was uh, I was actually just playing the game of the year edition of Fallout Three. I know when New Vegas came out. Obviously, this was uh, Obsidian, but using Bethesda's engine. Uh, when it came out, all versions um, had significant issues, technical issues. I know that some people have played it more recently now that it's been largely patched again I believe the advice is don't go anywhere near the PlayStation 3 version um, but the the fully patched PC version and the 360 version some people say that they think it's actually better than Fallout 3 now so in terms of variety and quests and humour and things like this so I'm intrigued to actually because I don't think I could go back to Fallout 3 and play it all again like, like some of you and some people have done but I would be I am reminded have, having taken part in this podcast what what a lot of the coolest elements of that world are so um, did any of you try New Vegas at the time have any of you been back to it any uh, yeah you may remember I actually reviewed it at the time for uh, Gamer Dork way back when um, I picked up 
day one. I think what you've your your summary there is is about right. I think the writing's better. I think it's actually more humorous, more darkly humorous than Fallout Three is, if if possible, because we've all talked about how how darkly funny Fallout Three was. But I think New Vegas was more so, um, being made by some of the people who made the original games who were who are now at Obsidian. Mm. Um, uh, I, I think there are things it does better and things it improves on uh, over Fallout 3 in terms of open world. Fallout 3 actually when you start looking at the map you realise there's a lot of sort of closed off bottlenecked areas mm. where you have to go specific routes to get in and I think that was a concession to the technical side of things whereas New Vegas feels like an open desert you know you literally can see something and walk to it. There's There's not that much in the way of built up areas to sort of block you and channel you different ways and they don't have the subway systems to start feeling repetitive oh, okay. either so um, yeah. I uh, at the time I, and I think a, a big barrier aside from the bugs was that f- for all of us and for a lot of people I think Fallout 3 hadn't just been a game of 2008 it had been a game of 2008 and 2009 and probably <laughs> into 2010 yeah. And therefore, when New Vegas came out, people kind of... There was an air of kind of had enough fallout for the moment. You know, do we need a sequel this soon? And it, it, it wasn't as soon as some games have sequels, but it probably felt that way for a lot of people because Fallout 3 was so big. Um, and at the time, I had some problems with it. The You know, there were some invisible walls... Uh, which I guess again that comes down to the fact they tried to make the map so open mm. uh, it was a bit more buggy um, they'd introduced a hardcore mode which I expected to enjoy and didn't really feel worked it, it felt like a harder game to me uh, you don't feel so overpowered um, as, as you do in Fallout 3 and that could get to the point of being frustrating um, but over time and over having conversations with some people who've played it since kind of like today's conversation it's reminded me of a lot of what I thought was good about the game and I picked up the game of the year edition and I'm planning on I believe they didn't the call game. it that because it would no, have been sorry, disingenuous yes, I beg your pardon complete edition or something yes it's the ultimate edition okay right um, but sorry it, it's essentially the same as the Fallout 3 game of the year edition in that it's got all the DLC all the on the disc yeah. and uh, yes. it, it's equally as long a game as Fallout 3 or has the potential to be uh, with uh, the main storyline is is branching effectively, so yeah. there is a bit more ownership over that in terms of the choices you make and what that means for the world and your impact on it. So, hmm. um, so yeah, I'm fully intending to go back to that and and have another shot at it because I liked a lot of what Obsidian were trying to do. I just didn't feel they pulled it off, and I'm wondering if a second visit might change that. Hmm. Sorry, that was a bit of a rambling explanation of following. No, no, it's good because we haven't really covered it. Have either of the, the you, you others, other fellows, played New Vegas? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I basically echoing a lot of what James said. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like a more fun game. It's it's um, funnier and and a little bit a little bit lighter. Um, but yeah, the bugs were a big problem, and I again. Like an idiot played the PS3 version and it wasn't. Dude, uh, <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trophies, trophies on the. Oh on man. The, yeah. <laughs> Choose experience. Trophies, trophies come second. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, Carl, any experience in New Vegas? In your backlog? 
Yeah, I picked it up on the on the day of the release again. I picked up the special edition, uh, not as good as the Fallout Three one. No, but it's not that good at all. Um, as a game, I I played maybe four or five hours, and I I do a thing where sometimes if I play a game and it it's not clicking with me straight away, but I know I should be enjoying it, I'll step back and I'll go back to it six months, yeah. twelve months, eighteen months later. And it's it's quite often a, a far more fresh experience, and I, I know from experience there are times mm. where I haven't done this in games, and it's only ended up being a bit of a negative one. Uh, something like Uncharted Two, for example, I ended up forcing my way through the game, and I knew if I'd stepped back and gone back to it six weeks later or so on, I, I would have adored that game. So I thought, for my own sake, I'm I, I'm not going to play through it now because Fallout Three was such a big part of my my gaming enjoyment. Uh, over the many years that I've done it, I wasn't too keen on the faction building. Um, it never quite grabs me the right way in game. I hated the idea that you got to build all the individual ammo types for your gun. It felt like it was a bit too, a bit too much of a faff on in the in the menus of stripping, and it didn't seem very clear. It was an issue I had with Oblivion originally, which was cleared mm. up by the Pip Boy system in Fallout Three, where. It was a, there was a lot more clarity to what you were doing in Fallout 3, it seemed a bit clumsy and from what I'd played I really didn't understand why people are saying the writing was better, it felt worse, however I didn't experience any bugs hmm. whatsoever with this game which kind of surprised me but I'm kind of a lucky person in that I never really seem to get bugs in Fallout 3, the only ones I got were uh, the old system lockups, like uh, James said, I got about three of them. I, I've had about five in Skyrim, but I think that's par for the course with that engine. I think the only time in, the, in all the Fallout games that I've yeah. all two of them, this is that I've experienced any issues is when they released the Pit DLC, which is maybe the worst release of any DLC ever. Oh yeah, I remember that. Completely yeah. broken for forty-eight hours. I. Yeah, that's right. Big exclamation yeah. marks. And well, that was that was simply a, a screw up um, in that they released the wrong code, didn't they? So, yeah, they uploaded yeah. the wrong version. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a but yeah, consigned to history now. Um, so yeah, you can you can buy uh, Fallout Three Game of the Year Edition and the Fallout New Vegas Ultimate Edition for uh, under thirty pounds together. Um, so like forty dollars. Um, that is an extraordinary amount of gaming for the money um, really so no excuse not to try it would actually take you through to the next big release window as well which is the most frightening thing about the number of hours you'll get from that game is if if you were playing them a bit per night by the time you got through both those games you would be in yeah, sort of assuming, assuming people are listening to this podcast contemporaneously but uh, yes yes indeed uh, yeah, if you've got a big gap in your life for some reason, uh, <laughs> that would be one one way to fill it um, tremendously well. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart I have but one desire And that one is you No other will do I 
I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me, I don't. Let us move on to our three word reviews. We'll read them out in the order that I introduced you. Were you paying attention at the start? <laughs> it alphabetical was it. order this Alphabetical order, sure. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, first one was from Robotic Monkey, who says, brownest game ever. Uh, Bad Bonobo says, Neeson's dead eyes. Orbi Culkin Orbi says, lots of walking. Shonikin says, survive, thrive, revive. Justin Knowles says gaming without ladders, uh, which he specifically pointed out is uh, an engine limitation that <laughs> Gamebryo doesn't have ladders in it. I'd never even noticed that, really. Uh, White Spider Zero says Liberty Prime rocks. Plex Shaw had the inv- uh, insightful three word review of Ad Achievement 1. So this comes from uh, the ability to open the console in the Games for Windows live version and simply unlock all the achievements by typing that uh, no idea why they left that in there or put that in there really but uh, there it is you can if you're that kind of person you can get 1550 completely even more meaningless than usual achievement points and it still takes longer than avatar yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sonic mole says retro future brilliance furry fruit possibly bethesda's best uh, Motley Gunner 84 says trained for post-apocalypse Pixie Ninja 23 post-apocalyptic wasteland frolics Surface Lizard says keep it isometric interesting so in Surface Lizard who I believe is a regular listener we have somebody who was a fan of the original games and perhaps was not a fan of this uh, I guess he tried it but i uh, be interested to hear what he thought Chazzy UK, wonderfully atmospheric exploration. Pedge A says. Pedge A? Not sure. Uh, Bleak Baron Epic. Matt Harrier, Bleak Funny Massive. Bleak Funny and Massive. There it is. Uh, you can, listeners, play along with us, play the games as we come up to them on the podcast. Future featured games are to include the Battlefield 3 multiplayer with a couple of uh, guest panellists next week. Following that, we have Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, which will feature the bonus appearance of David Turner from Joypod. Uh, after that, we have Ratchet and Clank Future, a crack in time. Then it's back to Metal Gear. It's Metal Gear 3 Solid, Sn- uh, Solid Snake. What the hell? That's, is and it's th- Metal Gear Solid 3 as well. That's what the <laughs> hell happened there. That would be Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Uh, after that, Lost Winds and Lost Winds 2, Winter of the Melodias, uh, then No More Heroes, then Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective. Following that, Kirby's Epic Yarn. Following that, back to Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, then Rhythm Heaven, Tengoku series, um, cross formats. And finally, for the shows, we have lined up Max Payne and Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne. Uh, Everyone probably will have played Max Payne 3 by then, but that's cool. 
Your support for our show via iTunes subscriptions, ratings and reviews is greatly appreciated. And our blog, don't forget, is at canarince.com. We are part of the Character Select Network. You can join in with the discussion and get your comments on the show and such like at characterselect.net slash forum. On Twitter, we are at canarince. You can like us on Facebook. And if you want to, you can email us at canarince at gmail.com. It only remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank James Carter stepping in for Tony, Carmoon and Sean O'Brien, and we'll be back next time. Goodbye. <laughs>